You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Hey there, Chromaholics. It is your host, Kinsey. I'm here with the Missing Mondays episode. Missing Mondays was a segment that was created because at any given time, 90,000 people are missing in the U.S. While some of those are found alive or deceased, the majority of them are still missing today. It is my goal here at Crimeaholics to keep missing persons' name and information in the media to aid in their return home the best that I can. On this episode of Missing Mondays, I will be bringing you the disappearance of Angie Hammond. Angie Hammond grew up in a small town called Clinton, Missouri. Clinton, Missouri was a very small farming town where everybody knew everyone, especially the Hammond family, as three generations of the Hammond family grew up there. At the time of Angie's disappearance, she had just graduated from her local high school and was attending classes at the Central State University and was working as a bank teller at Union State Bank. Angie had started dating a boy named Rob Schaefer in the fall of 1990. Rob Schaefer was 18 years old and was attending high school at the school where Angie had graduated from. According to both of their friends, they were very popular, outgoing people. Rob was a star athlete on their football team, and he had planned on joining the military. When the two of them got together, every one of their friends and family had said that the two of them were just absolutely head over heels in love with each other. So much so that not long after they were dating, Angie finds out that she is pregnant with Rob's baby. Most of the people around them thought that they were going to be very scared and upset, but Rob was so excited. He ends up proposing to Angie and lets her know that no matter what, he was always going to take care of her and the baby. So much so that after he proposes, he gets Angie and him and the baby their own trailer home just an hour from where Angie's family lives. Four months after Angie finds out that she is pregnant and Rob proposes, on April 4th, 1991, the two of them attend a barbecue that was being held by Angie's mom that was an hour away from the trailer park home where Rob and Angie lived. The two of them attended the barbecue and according to everybody there, nothing seemed out of the ordinary and the two of them seemed to be happy and in love like they always did. Later that night, Rob had plans to help his parents babysit his little brother. So sometime around 9 p.m., Rob and Angie depart the barbecue from Angie's mom, and Angie drives Rob over to his parents' home. Now, when Angie arrives to drop off Rob, she reminds him that the two of them have plans to stay the night at Angie's mom's house. So after he is done babysitting, Angie would come and pick him up and the two of them would drive back to her parents. 
While Rob was babysitting, Angie was trying to just kill some time, so she goes and picks up her best friend Kyla, and the two of them drive around town together just hanging out, gossiping, and having a good time trying to just waste time while Rob is watching his little brother. The two of them finish driving around town and it's time for Angie to go pick up Rob. But instead of driving over to Rob's parents' house, Angie stops just seven blocks away on Jefferson Street at a payphone to call Rob and inform him that she was too tired to drive back to her mother's home and that she just wanted to go to their house. Nobody really knows why Angie chose to stop just seven blocks away from his parents' house to give him a phone call when she kind of could have just driven there. A Lots of speculation has been made about this of why Angie had stopped. But Angie stops at the payphone again just seven blocks from his family's home. She calls and Rob answers the phone and Angie tells him that she is actually too tired to drive an hour back to her mom's house and that she just wants to go home for the night. While Angie is on the phone with Rob, she tells Rob that there was an old Ford pickup truck kind of circling the area. It made her feel a little uncomfortable, but again, this is kind of a small town where everybody knows everybody, so Rob tells Angie not to be too alarmed. But Angie gets even more alarmed when the green pickup truck pulls up right next to the payphone. Angie tells Rob, This guy is getting out of the truck and I'm feeling a little scared. He goes into the payphone that was right next to the payphone that Angela was using. Angie tells Rob that he picks up the payphone, but it's not maybe working because he doesn't call anybody. He picks up the phone, puts it up to his ear, and then puts it right back on the payphone. And then he goes back to his truck. Angie tells Rob, I don't know what this guy is doing. He's looking around his truck and Rob says, well, maybe that payphone is broken and he needs to use your payphone. So ask him if he needs to use the phone. Angie does what Rob says and she peeks her head out of the payphone and she says, excuse me, do you need to use the phone? The guy just abruptly and very quickly with a snarky kind of way says no. And he goes back to his truck and he's just searching around all over the floor like he's kind of looking for something. Angie says that the man then pulls out a flashlight and he's looking around the truck again with his flashlight and Angie starts to get a little more scared. Rob tells Angie to just continue talking to him until the man goes away. But this man does not go away. And the longer he's there, Andy's getting more and more scared. So she tells Rob the description of this truck and tells him that it's an older Ford Hunter Green truck with a mural on the back window of a fish jumping out of a water. So this is a very distinct truck. But Angie nor Rob recognizes this truck from town. While Angie is on the phone with Rob, all of a sudden he hears a blood-curdling scream. And it was from Angie. Rob freaks out 
and he jumps in the car from his parents since again he was only seven blocks away from the payphone after rob gets in the car he is driving as fast as he can to try and get to that payphone hoping that angie somehow is still there as he is driving to the payphone that old ford that angie described is driving right past him going down the opposite direction of the road and what he sees is angie in the passenger seat fighting this guy and hitting him and screaming and according to rob angie actually spots his parents car driving in the opposite direction and he says that the windows were down on the truck and he hears angie screaming for help rob quickly throws his car into reverse hoping to turn around and start going after the truck but when he does that, he unknowingly causes severe damage to the transmission on his car and his car quickly breaks down, giving the truck an opportunity to get away. Rob is desperate to save his fiance, so he starts running on foot after this truck. But of course, he's not able to catch up and he sees the truck going down a one-way direction and in the dust, this truck disappears. Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors. According to the EPA, indoor air can be two to five times more polluted than outdoor air, and in some cases, it can be 100 times more polluted. According to the 2020 consensus report, nearly half the population, so almost 165 million people, are living in areas with unhealthy levels of ozone or air pollution. We take about 20,000 breaths per day, so that is almost 3,000 gallons of possibly polluted air that we are breathing in. Airborne allergens are the most common allergy triggers, such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold. I personally struggle with a ton of allergy problems. Here in Tennessee, pollen is very thick and I often am struggling with my allergies on a daily basis because of how awful the pollen is here. Because I struggle with allergies, I then struggle with my asthma. I was trying to find any type of solution I could and a regular humidifier was just not cutting it. That is when I started looking into Air Doctor. Air Doctor has changed the way my asthma acts up. I have no longer had to be on a daily allergen ever since using Air Doctor. So what's the solution? We're happy to introduce an air purifier that captures the attention of established media outlets such as CNN, Money, ABC, and more. Air Doctor filters out dangerous contaminants and allergens so your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor uses ultra EPHA filter that has independently tested to remove 99.9% .9 of tested bacteria and viruses. Allergens can vary in size, but the average pollen size is about 25 microns. Air Doctor virtually removes 100% of particles as small as 0.03 microns in size. Their classic Air Doctor 3000 purifier is powerful enough to circulate the air in a 630 plus square foot room four times per hour. Air Doctor features whisper jet fans that are 30% quieter than the fans found in an ordinary purifier. 
So Air Doctor comes with no questions asked, 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. So go ahead to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code CRIMEHOLICS. And depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to $300 off. Lock this special offer by going to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code CRIMEHOLICS. The road in which Rob had followed the Ford truck on was called Highway 13. At the end of Highway 13, you can either take a left or a right. If you were to take a right, it would take you right into a huge subdivision full of homes. And if you were to turn left, it would take you out onto a main highway, but this was not a main highway that would have taken him out onto an interstate for a quick getaway. Rob knows that all he can do at this point is turn around, head back to town, and try and find help. Rob does just that. He runs on foot and runs into a random car and tells them what happened and that he needs to get to a phone ASAP. Once Rob locates a phone, he calls the police immediately and lets them know that his fiance was at a payphone and a man was there and he abducted her and that Rob actually saw the truck with her in it and that he chased them until his car broke down. The police immediately did not believe this story at all. They were thinking, what are the odds that her fiance actually saw her in the car with the man in that he chased the truck. But the police were able to back up his story as Rob's car was still broken down in the exact location where he said it was. But at first, this did not stop Rob from being a person of interest in his fiance's abduction. But just within that following week, the law enforcement officers were able to clear Rob of any type of suspicion of being the one who abducted Angie. A few local witnesses had actually stepped forward that week saying that they had also seen that green truck driving around the town multiple nights before April 4th. The investigation had taken very many different turns during this time. Some had speculated that Angie was not abducted at all and that she had ran away for her own free will because she did not want to give birth to this baby and that she did not actually want to be married to Rob. There was rumors circulating that the baby that Angie was pregnant with did not actually belong to her fiancé Rob and that it was her ex-boyfriend Bill Baker's baby and that she had likely skipped town before Rob could find out that the baby didn't belong to him. But this was just one of those vicious rumors that was circulating that had no substance or any proof to back it up. When it came to trying to help locate Angie, Rob was very cooperative with the police. While she was on the phone with him in the payphone she had actually given a description of the man to rob so he was asked by the police to help them come up with a sketch to be able to release to the public thinking that maybe somebody else had seen him and the truck while angie was on the phone with rob she tells him that he is a tall man and dirty overalls with glasses and a hat and he had long dark hair and a dark beard 
they release this sketch to the public and they release the information about the truck. And what they find out is that multiple people in that area leading up to April 4th had seen this man and this truck just wandering around town. This man had stuck out like a sore thumb because again, everybody in Clinton, Missouri knew everyone and not a single person who stepped forward with the information about this man knew who he was. So he stuck out to them, which made the police even more concerned because they knew that Angie was abducted and she was in danger. The police took the search for Angie very seriously. They searched on foot and they searched in the air in the area of Highway 13 for days, but absolutely no trace of Angie was showing up. The police department there in Clinton did get help from the Highway State Patrol. They did a computer search on all the registered vehicles matching that description. They came up with 1,600 of these Ford trucks, but all the trucks that they had checked, none of them had the mural of the fish jumping out of the water. So they were quickly ruled out as being used in the abduction of Angie. Now that Rob has been ruled out as a suspect in his fiance's disappearance and all 1,600 of those trucks have been ruled out as being involved in her disappearance, the police turn to the public for any type of tip or lead and they do get a hit. So just four months prior to Angie's disappearance, on January 19th, 1991, a 42-year-old woman by the name of Trudy Darby was working alone in a convenience store not far from Clinton, Missouri. She calls her son and lets him know that there was a very scary, suspicious man walking around outside the convenience store, and she asks her son if he would come over to the store and walk her to her car so she could make it there safely. Trudy's son hurries over to the store just about 10 to 15 minutes after her initial phone call. When he arrives at the convenience store, the place is completely deserted and his mother is nowhere to be found. Two days later after Trudy goes missing, her body was found on a riverbank 10 miles from the store and her autopsy showed that she had been fatally shot in the head twice. One month after Trudy was found murdered, a 30-year-old girl named Cheryl Ann Kinney was reported missing in Nevada, Missouri, and this was just roughly 70 miles from where Trudy Darby's body was found. On February 28, 1991, Cheryl Ann was also working at a convenience store alone at night. She is supposedly reported to have been abducted from that convenience store and has never been seen alive again. So just then, less than one month after Cheryl Ann goes missing is when Angie Hammond was abducted. The detective over Angie's case believes that the three of these cases are linked together. He said that if Angela was found, it might provide a link that relates to, for example, Trudy Darby or Cheryl might be found. And maybe that'll be the connection to Trudy Darby and how she was murdered. The authorities had suspected that a serial killer was on the loose in central Missouri. Angie's mother, Marsha, said that she agreed that this is what happened to her daughter, but she just wants answers. Unfortunately, the police were not able to find any type of solid evidence to link Trudy, Cheryl Ann, and Angie Hammond together. And with Rob being the only suspect in Angie's case and being ruled out, and without any other solid tip or lead, Angie's case will go completely cold. Her family loses complete hope that her and the baby are ever going to return home alive or that they will ever receive any type of answers as to what happened to her and the baby. But 
that changes in 2021 when the police step forward for a press conference and say that they have brand new evidence in Angie Hammond's disappearance. During this press conference, it was revealed that in the town of Clinton, a man had been working undercover for the narcotics team for the police department. And while he was undercover, this man's cover was blown. And the people that were selling the narcotics threatened this man with a ransom note, letting him know that his daughter, who also happens to be named Angela, is going to be kidnapped. A ransom note had been postmarked for the morning of April 4th, 1991. So this is the exact same day that Angela was kidnapped. It was detailed in this ransom note, which was made by newspaper clippings that they better watch their daughter Angela because she would be going missing. As the police are looking into this informant and his daughter Angela and their family, they find out that his daughter Angela was the same age as Angela Hammond and that the two of them had actually looked very similar. The police have come up with the conclusion that Angie Hammond had actually been taken by mistake and that this man was hired by the people selling the narcotic drugs to take Angela and that Angie had been taken and this was a complete act of mistaken identity. But what is really hard for Angie's family here is although they are happy to have some type of possible answer as to what happened to their daughter, they still feel like they are never going to be able to find any type of closure because as of right now, this is where this case sits that there was a ransom note and that their daughter Angie was possibly taken by accident. The police have stated that they are very much working on this case still and that they are very much following up on this ransom letter and looking into each of those people that were selling narcotics at the time of Angie's disappearance. (music) 